the Health Tech listeners, I'm your host this week, Karina Plant. This is the podcast where we tackle some of the trending topics, ideas and best practice in the health and social care. I'm back today with Radar Healthcare's Chief Product Officer, Mark Fuster, to talk about a project we're all really excited about, the new and enhanced audits module. Mark has worked very closely on this for months alongside our development and product team, and I can't wait to hear more. Whilst not working on the audits module and all the other modules in Radar Healthcare, Mark loves travelling and live music. So Mark, have you been anywhere good recently? Um, yes, is a short answer. I've been, we went, did a couple of work trips actually, went out to look at the US healthcare system um, and flew over to California, spent a bit of time in LA and San Francisco and then took a week's holiday at the end, hired a car, drove down California Highway 1. Went to Monterey, went whale watching, spent a bit of time in San Francisco. So that was that was pretty nice. I'm, I'm jealous. Did you go to Alcatraz as well? Went to Alcatraz, cycled over the Golden Gate Bridge and drove over the Golden Gate Bridge and took the ferry back to Sausalito. Yeah, it's, yeah. Sounds Def- amazing. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <laughs> so what inspired Radar Healthcare to enhance our existing audits module? So a, a couple of things, really. One, obviously, kind of customers asking for specific features, which I think we'll kind of cover off as we go through. Um, but I, I guess the other one is if you think about what Radar does in terms of the modulized nature of it so we've got like an events module, we've got a documents module we've got a workforce compliance module, an artist module a risk register module when we, or when customers or people who are looking to buy the product are looking to for, for a piece of software like Coase, we're not just compared necessarily from a you know risk management software to a risk management software if somebody's after an audit tool then actually we're not we're compared to all the other audit tools out there and the current version of audits when you can make that comparison between what the capabilities are that we've got now versus the capabilities of other products similar on the market from an auditing perspective we needed to kind of move up and, and kind of meet those requirements so you look at something like an eye auditor you know we weren't anywhere near their capabilities whereas what we're doing now moves us much closer to that so it's obviously customers asking for specific things but it was more a drive to make sure that actually we had a market leading audits module as well and the same theory really goes for the for the rest of the business of the products we work on so you just mentioned there that customers were requesting specific things yeah do our partners have a say in what we put into our products and into the audits module? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I don't know when this podcast goes out, but I've just been doing a podcast with Ellie talking about the community forums. Part of that is almost like that ideation stage where customers can go, I'd love to see feature X. And I should be, I should know the stat, but it's kind of 29, 30% of all things um, that have gone on to those forums we've ended up implemented in some way, shape or form. And then obviously the customers also feed into into the roadmap itself. So there's that kind of direct customers driving what the product's doing through literal ideas, and then just broadly through well, actually we've got this problem to fix. This is the you know these are the challenges that we're having as an organisation. So that route definitely. And then once we've committed to something, so let's say the rewind the audits project, the beta sessions we run with customers as well. So it's about kind of us going well look we. We do this thing called minimum viable products where you, you're basically building enough to deliver value to customers, but then it's not a finished product. So it gives them the opportunity to kind of shape it and mold it into what it's going to end up looking like. And for us, it means we don't waste development effort because actually the things that they want and the features that they're asking for as part of that beta process, you know, helps drive us build whatever we end up, we end up building. So it's kind of those two things. See, Big picture, yes, they shape us in terms of ideas and what the roadmap looks like. And then for the individual projects, then if they're involved in the beta groups, then they shape literally what that part of the product does. 
so did you have a vision of where you wanted the module to get to and when you kind of started planning the improvements with the team? Yeah, so I think it's back to that. The, the vision was to have something that was... If you were going to go out and buy a, a tool that just did audit, so not and even the rest of what Red Hat does, the vision was to make sure that we had something comparable with those types of products so that actually you would have audits as a standalone module would be as good as any other products out there in the market that are doing that are running audits. And did that actually become reality? So I know you've said, obviously, I'd, I'd when does this so. go through? <laughs> like, how far away are we currently from what that original vision was? Um, I don't think we... We didn't necessarily come away from the vision. Uh, we've We've come away sometimes in terms of what we thought features would do and then we've decided that actually it might be a better way of doing it some some other way of doing it so you know we might originally have thought well actually it would be really great if we did x and then back to that beta feedback once we gave that to a customer when <clears throat> somebody was using it the reality was actually it didn't quite work in the way we thought it would so we so we changed it but i'd say what we end up launching will be close to the if not the same as the vision we had originally to be fair now, I know you've obviously touched upon in terms of other auditing tools, and we know that there's a real demand for audit tools in the industry right now. Yeah. Is there any trends or patterns in what people are actually asking for and wanting from a software system for auditing? So t- t- kind of two things, probably oversimplifying a little bit, but that flexibility about what you can build, so not just restricted to specific question types and kind of yes-nos or even you know, restricted to certain drop-down lists or whatever the, the kind of baked-in question and responses are to a particular audit. So that element to be able to kind of configure whatever your questions are that you want to ask and then being able to change that. So again, similar to the ethos we've got in the rest of the product of actually you can self-build, you can configure, and then you can quite quickly change and amend what you're doing based on the information you're getting back into the organisation from the audits and perhaps from, from, from other um, places as well. And then the second part, analytics so almost that that's so what you know what well what do you actually want to do once you've kind of once your audits have kind of been done and your scores are coming in how do you take that information and make sense of it and add real value to it so you know what my top 10 filled questions where can I make the most difference if I do this improvement you know where where should I spend my time and I think we're coming to features later on but one of the things that we do and will be part of the the enhanced audits for us similar to what we do with events is to be able to hook up a workflow so it's not just about actually i've done an audit it's scored wherever it's scored let's say for example we failed a critical question or the, you know we, we only got 25 percent on the score historically that might have just mean we'll put an action plan together now actually we can generate workflows like we do in events so you could say well somebody's failed a specific question so i'm going to notify certain individuals i might kick off a different process that we need to do maybe it needs to be authorized maybe somebody else needs to review it maybe we need to trigger another audit again so that ability to be able to do the so what both from a workflow point of view and from an analytics point of view that's probably the 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 biggie for us obviously kind of try to connect those dots together so for many of the end users especially people like myself yeah we don't see the work that kind of goes into it because we just kind of see the the front end and assume it's probably quite an easy thing. <laughs> so can you tell me a bit about the process that you actually go through when, when we're implementing these changes and this redevelopment? Like, where does that start? So it starts with that vision. So basically it starts with us, from a business point of view, understanding what is the thing that we want to work on. So almost what's the business case behind building an audits module? So if it didn't, in the nicest sense, help us 
help the customer solve a problem in a better way, help us as a company be more successful. There are, there are all these drivers that are helping influence what are the different things that you would work on within the product. And then you come out to this is this is what we want to work on based on, as I say, in this case, market and, and customer feedback. Crafting that vision of actually what is it that you want to achieve, and then the steps you go through, it starts almost with workshops. So it starts with research for one of better way of ex- describing it. So you would be going off and looking at what other people do in this market. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna go off and buy an artist module. What does it cost? How does it work? What does it do? Who are the different competitors out there for us? What do they do? What are the, what are the modules that they're talking about the most? What are the features that they you know, plug the highest on their websites? And getting an idea from that about actually which of those are, are going to be useful for us and which of those do we need to either exceed or match or perhaps not do at all because they're not being used. So you're going out and you're doing that bit of research in terms of the market research. But then you're also holding the customer workshops so it's like, well, you're, you're already a customer of ours. You're working with the audits module. What do you want to see? What would you want it to do? And then you end up with all these different, almost voices, for one of a better way of describing it, coming in to help shape what that initial version looks like. And I'll be honest, it gets drawn on paper. So literally, it's me with a, with a felt-tip pen and some crayons, literally it's going like right. <laughs> no, I mean, and it is. It's kind of, you know, what does this thing look like? And, it, and I draw it on paper. And get an idea from a UIA. I'm no UI UX designer, by the way. It's more just about kind of structurally, what does this look like? Then we typically bring in a UI UX person to kind of go, well, look, look at Mark's nonsense scribbles. <laughs> look at the vision. Look at all the things that people have been asking for. Now, you know, you are the expert and how does this work and how do people interact with it? And when you press this button, where does it go? And all that kind of good stuff. That then gets re- to a certain fidelity. So usually kind of what's called wireframe. So almost just kind of the outline of what it looks like. That then gets played back with the customers. So it's like, look, to be fair, I do it with the paper versions as well. It's look, here's, here's what we've made. You know, have a look at it. And, it. and it's usually interactive. So you can kind of click it. Obviously, it doesn't do anything yeah. really, but it's, you can kind of interact with it. And then, like, well, that button doesn't quite work. Or this is not quite I had in mind. Or maybe you want to do this that you've not thought of. That comes back. We iterate. And it tends to get more and more progressive in terms of the quality until we build, again, kind of a non-functional version, but kind of a UI UX mock-up of what it looks like. And then we'd be colouring it in and probably put, put, putting a few more extra details in. And then again, that gets played back with the customer. You typically then do the MVP. For audits, for us, it was different though, because we don't really, we can't do an MVP for audits because we've already got an audits module. So if I said to you as a customer, your first experience of our new audits module is going to be less features than you have with the current, you know, well, why am I going to yeah. move? I'm not going to use it, am I? Whereas if you were starting from nowhere and you had no module, you could go, well, actually, the first thing I'm going to give you is the ability to you know, build a little bit of an audit and ask a question. And, and you'd gradually introduce the features. For us, we've had to get to a point of more than parity, to be fair, but we're kind of going, look, we need to give you a reason to swap from the one you're currently using to the one that we've just built. So our MVP, as I said, traditionally, they're quite low level. This one's quite a detailed MVP because actually it has to compare and compete with the thing we've already got in the product. Does that impact the timescales of implementing a redevelopment then? Because I'm, I'm guessing, obviously, from what you've just said, that you need to do more work to get it to a higher standard of what's currently there. So is that more difficult? Um, it, it, it's, it's more time-consuming, obviously, because you've got more to do. The complexity comes, for this project especially, with the fact we're looking to embrace newer technologies. So... 
radar, the, the big shift in terms of a lot of things that we're doing, and I've covered this on another podcast, is all about it being API driven. So that's about all the little individual tasks. Again, developers probably listening to this going, no, this, this is not it. <laughs> but about all of the individual, <clears throat> excuse me, things that you might do within an audit being separate API calls. So they're all kind of individual things. So I might look, check for permissions or I might um, get a list of audits or I might push back a score or whatever the individual components are. So we've moved to develop that way. We've also moved to change the language we use in the front end. So actually it's moving completely away from the code base we've got at the moment to something else, which means we can lift and shift it and, and put it put it somewhere else. The, the other benefit we get from that is it's something called a progressive web app. So historically, if you want to work offline, you have to download an app. For this version, if you lose signal whilst you're doing an audit, it will just keep working. So actually it can work offline without, you know, if your Wi-Fi drops or your signal doesn't work anymore, it just can continue allowing you to do the audit. And then once you get signal again, it will just send the information back up. So very similar to an app, but you're not having to download a separate app. You're not having to download the audit beforehand. So a user, it's just a log on a red, I do my audit and it's just seamless. So you're not having to worry about what environment you're in. It just, it just works offline. And the theory is we'll do the same for things like event reporting as well. I'm going to say that sounds really, really good because just working with customers, I obviously know the the kind of issues that they have with internet connectivity in some areas. Yeah. So that just sounds really, really good to be able to just to actually do the work that they need to do without having to rely on that internet connection. So in terms of the development, mm-hmm. um, I'm assuming that not every idea ends up getting put into the product. So yeah. how do you determine what actually gets developed and goes into the product? Um Demand, I guess, is the is the obvious one, and and you, you kind of weigh in that that up against the effort as well. To be fair, so similar to the forums and the customer suggestions, <clears throat> excuse me. If if as part of the beta groups, people are saying, well, actually, wouldn't it be great if it did X, and we're all sitting there going, well, yeah, absolutely. Why don't we do that? Then those things tend to naturally go into the product, and then the other side of it is if you've got something where you're unsure and you kind of well I quite like the idea but I'm not sure whether you know that's that's something that's going to help drive us forward or not that typically then gets pushed out back to the customers through the forums and the beta groups go you know customer x has has thought of this idea what do you think and either people go well actually yeah that's a really great idea or maybe they change it in some way shape or form or maybe they'll go well that no that wouldn't be useful for us and then it's back to well actually if that's not the case and it's only going to answer a customer's one specific problem that's the thing that we don't typically end up developing. What we're looking for as kind of a product development and as a company, to be fair, is to kind of solve problems that are everybody's problems rather than just try to solve a single customer's problem. We want to make sure we're building things that work for as many customers as possible and solve as many challenges as possible. Basically what's looking for the biggest impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know there's a lot of new features uh, with the audits version two and the upgrade. How do you think that that's going to change the way that people work in their organisations? Um, I think it gives people a lot more flexibility. So, I, I mean, I've, do we have any questions on the specific features before I start rattling a, a lot of features off? No, I don't. Not right, yet. Okay. Not so, yet. <laughs> so it, it changes all of it. So it, it just gives a, a, a complete different amount of flexibility to the one that they've got at the moment. So right the way from being, being able to build an audit. So you can build an audit in Radar at the minute. You're limited in terms of the questions types you can ask and the kind of responses. You're limited in terms of some of the kind of configuration you can you can put in there. So all of that goes away. You're now able to build an audit. 
you can have anything you want as an individual response. So, you know, yes, no, not applicable, yes, no, text, numbers, star ratings, whatever that looks like in terms of the response you want. You can then build in your own scoring mechanisms against it. So what's the kind of the pass and the fail responses? You can trigger mandatory notifications based on somebody picking a particular response. You can embed info and help against the individual questions or against the um, sections that are, uh, that people are taking. So you've got a whole host of capabilities where you're kind of building out those templates. Very similar to what we do with forms at the moment. So again, that kind of version control where you can build an audit, push it out there, change it, push another version out there. It's basically that same sort of principle. And as I say, being able to hook the workflows into that as well. Completely different than what they do at the moment. And then control over scheduling. So we've, we've broken the link between audits and scheduling. It used to be the things were kind of baked in together. You built a monthly audit, you built a weekly audit, you built an annual audit. Now you build the audit and then you can choose when you want to schedule it. So you might schedule it at once. Let's say you've got health and safety audit, monthly health and safety audits, typically what you do, you can just push it out monthly for every single location. One location might be, you know, not performing very well. You can change the schedule for that site to go, well, we'll, we'll do this every week or every day or however often you want to be able to do it. And now you can schedule not just against locations, but against things at a location. So you might go, well, actually, I run a dental practice and I want to do an audit against the, the dentist. So actually you can say, I'm going to audit this location and this individual at that particular location. So there's a whole host of capabilities in terms of kind of building it out. From the doing, the progressive web app bit, so it just works seamlessly offline. Action plans on the fly, which we never used to be able to do before. So even if you find something that's got nothing to do with the question, you can go, well, actually, I'm going to raise an action plan. Or you can encourage the user at that point to create an action plan. Images that you're taking on the phone then go through into things like the overview, so no more kind of hyperlinks and all that kind of stuff. You just literally see whatever the images that you've taken and the usual things have been able to do kind of mandatory actions and and and, and drive something from that, from that specific question. So I know just obviously from my role and the conversations I have with customers, each customer will probably have their own individual benefits to what will the, the new module will help them to achieve. But from that kind of original workshops, was there any key benefits that kept coming up a lot that you was kind of wanting to solve with that? It, it's the key one is those different response types. So if if you as an organisation are limited to yes, no, not applicable in terms of the answers that you can give to a specific question, don't get me wrong, it works for lots of audits, but it, it, it doesn't really work for all the audits that you want to undertake. So the key one is that, you know, that's the thing that allow customers to build out the audits that they want to, to do. And there could be assessments as well. So you can use the audits module as an assessment. You don't have to have a scored audit. It could just be, I'm just going to ask somebody a survey. I'm going to ask somebody a bunch of questions. So that that capability in terms of being able to configure and build, same principle we have with events, you know, build the thing that actually you want to build and that matters most to you in the organisation and drives the outcome that you want with the analytics that's sitting over the top of it. So that, that's the key one, I think. We get flexibility in all the other areas, but principally I can choose the response types I want against the questions um so I don't know whether you've just answered this or not <laughs> but um for you personally what's the most impressive part of the module um I think the most impressive part is probably the bit behind the scenes and the bit that nobody will ever see so it's that bit around moving from what we do now to that API driven and progressive web app so that from a technology point of view is is, is interesting and exciting because that is what's going to end up shaping the rest of the product. And and that's where the learning curve's been internally as well. 
So if we'd have tried to have done this in the current, um, you know, the current way we develop, or the historic way we develop, should I say, um, we could have probably done it, we could have probably achieved it, but not in a way that gives us something that is as flexible as we want and is as scalable as we want as well. So I know you mentioned earlier about the beta process as yeah. well. Have we had any kind of feedback that we didn't kind of expect to have throughout that or anything that's been really useful to add value for our customers that's come from that probably wasn't in the initial roadmap for the, the redevelopment? I mean, the feedback's always good, to be fair. And there's always there are always changes and things people are asking for that find their way, way into the product in terms of the kind of development stories we've done. There's been no big major it's what somebody said actually you're doing this i think you should go off and completely do something completely different we, we've not had we've not had that um i think the the biggest thing for the beta is is uncovering the issues that we wouldn't necessarily see because we can we can test we can test at scale we can test across different users and permissions and all that kind of thing in the nicest sense until somebody's walking around in an office or a you know an award trying to do an audit you do not get the real world examples of you know what are the frustrations and what works what doesn't work what do they love? What do they not love? What bugs are they going to find for us? So that's really where the value comes, especially from the beta of, you know, and the nicest is you can test something, you know, you, you think as an organisation really well. Users will test it in a completely different way because they, they've never seen it before. So we do lots of usability tests where we challenge, you know, it might go, right, for the audit builder, build me an audit with these questions in. And then we just go, well, you know, we're not going to help you. We're not going to give you, we're not going to give you a steer. And then you can see people either just getting it, in which case, brilliant, we've done a really good design and it's really obvious to people, or they're getting some of it, but this part, this bit's not quite right or not quite easy. And then we might put, plug a kind of a walk me in, sort of kind of embedded help. Or we might change the way the screen looks because it's too complicated and people can't understand it. So that constantly shapes what we do in any of the betas, any of the product development we're doing. So over the next few years, what can our partners expect to see for radar healthcare and development? What's what's on our product roadmap? Um, the roadmap only goes for kind of the next twelve months, so we'd never have a roadmap that goes for the kind of the next three years because if if you do that, you're not listening to what the market's doing because the market could completely change and somebody could come in with a completely different product and we need to do something else or actually there could be a new problem that exists. You know, if you were going to do roll back two years and do a roadmap you would not have known COVID happened and actually lots of things we've done product wise and spun up and been able to support our customers to do with that when actually if you'd had a fixed three you know the roadmap should evolve it should change all the time there's lots of kind of elements around things like the audits there's a lot of work we're doing around kind of risk register and things like that so looking again to back to make sure that our modules are comparable with if you were just going to go off and buy something that did nothing but risks we need to be as close if not better as possible for any of those any of those different modules there's quite a few nhs specific things so obviously we kind of uh, with those you know kind of footprint in the nhs there's things they do in terms of things like reporting lfpsa um so again typically not necessarily seen from other providers so we're kind of building out those types of capabilities as well i think the 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 interesting things from an innovation point of view probably more around kind of data and device driven events so integrations with kind of care software providers, which go off and generate an event within radar, saving that duplication. Things like IHI triggers. So if you have a PAS system, so patient record data, you might have like a Cerner or an Epic or, or any to be fair. And within that patient journey pathway, 
there are indicators of harm. So, for example, you went in um, to have an operation or you went into an A&E and you were sat there for 12 hours before anybody saw you. And at some point in the pathway, you know, you, you ended up back in ICU. That might have been an indicator that actually this is what the root of the original um, problem was. We can start to pick those things out from the things like the, the past records and generate events. So start being more proactive. Analytics being more around proper benchmarking and bringing in data from other different organisations. Um, and then it's kind of, again, simplifying access to things for people. So I think I've spoken about this on other other podcasts, but things like natural language querying. So coming away from things like Report Builder, so allow people to just go, how many events did I have last week involved in this location? And it just gives you an answer rather than to build queries and things like that. So it's around trying to use Radar as a workflow engine. So if you think of that element of, what we do best is allow that customized workflow. And at the moment, the inputs are human being, pressing a button, raising an event. Those can now come from anywhere. And then flowing that into the analytics. But analytics that actually add more value and help you focus on where you need to spend time. So for example, action plans. One of the things we want to look to do is, at the moment you raise an action plan in Radar, and you kind of go, what's the priority of it? And you, you give it a description. You don't, you don't really put in much more detail in that other than when you expect it yeah. to be done. There's no real idea of the scale of it. So how big is it? So, you know, is it a case of the action plan is I need to move that or is the action plan I need to, you know, move the entire building? So there's no real size of, of, of the effort involved in, in completing an action. There's also no, at the moment, way of reviewing how well that thing is doing once you've implemented it. So a little bit like a controlling a risk once I've done this, what difference has it made? How do you link that action to things like the event run rate or your audit scores? So, you know, this action I've done, I'll put it in place. My audit score has gone up 10%. Or actually, my audit score hasn't moved. It's made a difference. So, therefore, I need to think about what a different action is. So, where should you spend your time? And then once you have spent that time, what impact has that had? That sounds really, really exciting. I think it's really good, the fact that we're trying to create a software that looks outside the box so rather than looking at everything in silo it's joining everything up and linking everything up so that you can see that wider picture and that impacts yeah we're also bringing in data from other sources as well so part of the analytics work is to allow customers to bring information in from other platforms so you might bring again it might be from care software could be staffing levels and then what's the risk associated with those staffing levels versus um, maybe the training that they've had so you're starting to do this correlation you know what's your workforce like what's your well-being look like what's a training look like how does that compare to the events you're having how does that compare to the audit scores policies tr- making sure that we're kind of connecting the dots between all that information and ideally helping you predict when that risk is going to happen rather than it being you know reactive we want to try and get as proactive as possible thank you very much for joining us this week mark thank and you. thank you to everyone for listening we will see you next week with a new episode so don't forget to rate and subscribe and if you have any questions for us or any of our guests please email what the health tech at radar healthcare.com. <laughs>